All right, good morning. Welcome to yet another week of being scattered together. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time out of your week to gather together in this way, making this a priority in your lives. Uh, I pray it is a blessing to you and that God's going to use this powerfully in your life today and in your home and in your family. So thanks for being a part of this scattered gathering uh, today. A reminder again, if you remember, uh, stuff should have been sent out to your email already this morning as well with uh, the things for uh, our trimesterly meeting and the things that we need to talk about and vote on for our church. So please uh, head into that time uh, after this. Uh, appreciate you making that extra time for that. We're going to go to a time as we do here uh, each week, uh, look at a passage from God's Word, talk about what it means and why it matters and what we should do about it. So if you have a Bible with you, your Bible app, whatever, would you turn to our passage today, Matthew chapter 5, now looking at verse 7. Matthew 5, 7, as we have been, I'm going to read into that starting at verse 1, but we'll focus in on verse 7. Matthew writes this, Seeing the crowds, he, this is Jesus, went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirits, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. That's God's word. Let me pray for us quickly. I'll ask God's blessing on this time, and then we'll dig in here together. Uh, Spirit of God, I ask, would you come now, uh, illumine this message, this time in your word. Would you open our eyes, our ears, our, our minds to receive what it is you want to show us. Accomplish the purpose for which you sent this out uh, by your strength, not by any ability of mine. And as I ask always now, eternal God, would you move and govern my tongue to speak your truth. Amen. Amen. So we are continuing uh, in this teaching series this morning through the Gospel of Matthew. And as we've been doing, focusing on this opening section of Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount called the Beatitudes, from the Latin beatus, meaning happy or blessed one in particular. But right off the bat, something that commentators point out as important to notice, and so I, I want us to notice it as well, is that rather than just being this kind of continuous list, there are actually these different categories, like subcategories within this opening section into which these eight Beatitudes that Jesus refers to fit. And, and maybe that just sounds like too much for a Sunday morning. Maybe you're like, listen, man, I just woke up. I'm sitting here in my house coat. Um, subcategories and stuff like it, it sounds like this is just a little bit too complex for Sunday morning but listen it's, it's really not let me just break it down simply so the, these opening four beatitudes that we just finished uh, looking through and going going through uh, in these past few weeks are referred to those four are referred to as the need beatitudes okay the need beatitudes and this is simply because each one of them describe a state of spiritual need or spiritual poverty poverty really of of pride or self-sufficiency, that is to be increasingly descriptive of kingdom citizens. But then now as we move into this fifth beatitude in our passage from verse 7, and actually including the next two beatitudes that follow, we now move into the category of what are known as the help beatitudes. The need beatitudes and now the help beatitudes, that is these next three beatitudes describe a state not of spiritual poverty but of spiritual fullness for citizens of the kingdom, out of which we serve and help 
those in need around us. And so as we move from the need beatitudes into the help beatitudes, the very first state of spiritual fullness of which Jesus says we are to citizens in his kingdom, we are to increasingly be known by and serve out of, is that we are to be merciful. That is, full of mercy. Now, on the surface, you read this, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. I mean, that, that seems pretty straightforward. You do this, you do this, I do this. Like, it seems pretty straightforward, and yet, where you immediately start to run into problems, first of all, is when you try to come across a common definition for that word mercy. And secondly, when you begin to interpret that the straightforward nature of this beatitude with a kind of quid pro quo, this for that understanding that sees us as somehow earning or meriting God's mercy when we're merciful to others. So if I'm merciful, then I earn God's mercy. Pro- problem with this beatitude uh, being seen as about we're merciful and then we earn God's mercy is, first of all, it's, just, I mean, it's contrary to the, the gospel. Uh, that, that is by grace alone and faith alone. Uh, it also ignores the fact, as we've been saying, that these Beatitudes are a description of those who are already citizens in the kingdom and thus who have already received the, the, the mercy of God freely. And then the problem with rightly defining the word mercy uh, is either that we just sometimes people want to use the word mercy and grace interchangeably. That's, the first, that, that's one way we can do it, we can do it wrong, because although those words are related, uh, they're actually different terms. Or we simply miss that in the Bible, as D.A. Carson notes, mercy embraces both forgiveness for the guilty and compassion for the suffering and the needy. It embraces both of those things. So we can't just pick one and say mercy is this. It, it's, it's both. And I don't know, like, looking at all that, again, it's... It's early, it's, it's Sunday, uh, suddenly it's as if this straightforward beatitude has now become the most complex of all, like we got subcategories and all these different meanings and it's not, the, it's like, I, I, don't, I don't even know. To, to which I'd quickly want to respond to you, no, 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 it, it really is as straightforward as it seems as soon as we rightly define the word mercy as Jesus intends it and when we rightly understand what Jesus means when he says that those who are merciful will receive mercy, then it becomes incredibly straightforward. But still, we still just might be like, I don't know, you've already been saying a lot. This just feels like too much. You know, maybe being merciful is just kind of one of these elite level beatitudes. And so I'm just going to kind of be cool with a seven out of eight on the beatitude score. I'm just going to kind of mail in that last one, you know, I'm kind of cool with the 87%. That's, uh, th- this is just something that, that maybe is too much for me. And yet the problem with that is when you continue to read through Matthew's gospel and you see the number of times that Jesus comes to the religious elite of his day, the Pharisees and the scribes, those who are just killing it as far as like obedience to the law of Moses, uh, uh, offering the right sacrifices, doing all the, the right things, the number of times that he comes to them and quotes this passage from Hosea 6 where God says, for I desire mercy and not sacrifice. That is like mercy. Being merciful is more important than any other religious act or duty that you perform. You begin to see that rather than being some kind of elite, top shelf level status, being merciful is actually one of the most basic, fundamental descriptions of a citizen in the kingdom of all. So we can't just kind of say, well, I'm just not, not going to bother with that one. No, that's actually the most basic one of all. And so 
in order to help us just get to that straightforward understanding of what this beatitude means once again and seek to have Jesus' full description of a kingdom citizen be true of us, I want to show you just three things from our passage this morning. I want to show you mercy as pardon, mercy as compassion, and then finally mercy received. Just those three things, mercy as pardon, compassion, and mercy received. So if you close your Bibles, your Bible app, whatever it is, would you open them again with me to our passage here, Matthew 5, beginning at verse 7. Follow along with me as we look at the blessing of God spoken over those who are merciful in his kingdom. Okay, so let's begin to define this word rightly, according to the Bible's definition, and look first of all at mercy as pardon. Mercy as pardon, and I want to begin here because whether you grew up in church or not, when it comes to understanding a word like mercy or being merciful, uh, forgiveness, uh, pardon for an unworthy uh, recipient is very often how you hear most people use the word mercy, like not giving someone the punishment that they deserve. That's how we most often just think of the word mercy. And there's, there's all kinds of modern-day examples that we can use to describe that. I mean, think about that movie Gladiator when, remember, the crowd is calling out to, to Commodus in the games to show mercy. He can kind of put his thumb down and have the person executed or up, and they're saying, show mercy, show mercy. Don't have that person executed. Or, or sometimes in a court setting. When someone has confessed their guilt, they're like, no, I'm confessing guilty. They, they do something referred to as, quote-unquote, throwing themselves on the mercy of the court, by which they, they are seeking leniency and hoping for leniency in sentencing. Or those of you who might remember um, that uh, watching Steven Spielberg's haunting classic Schindler's List a number of years ago, might remember that brilliant scene kind of midway through the film where Oscar Schindler and the murderous commandant Eamon Goet, they're, they're up on the balcony and Schindler is trying to incept Goet with this idea that, that true power is found not just in killing indiscriminately whoever you want. True power, he's, he's trying to show him, is found in showing mercy to those who are plainly deserving of death. He's like, that's the power the emperor has had. Someone comes before him and he's, he's crying out. He knows he's done wrong and the emperor pardons him. That's actually mercy. That's actually true power he's trying to show him, which actually makes... Uh, Mercy sounds very much like meekness, doesn't it? That power under control. But of all the examples that we have in the New Testament from Jesus' own mouth, I don't think we have any more perfect example of this understanding of mercy, and mercy is pardon, than the parable that Jesus tells in Matthew 18. There, there a king is seeking to settle his accounts one day, and he comes across a man still on the books who owes him 10,000 talents. And just to give you a, a context for that, historically, one talent, uh, we're told, was worth about 20 years' wages for a day laborer. This guy owes 10000 to this master. And so the master brings him in to repay, but he's, he's unable to repay, which is like, yeah, like, how could he? And then the, in response to that, the order is given to have the man, his wife and children, and everything he owes sold, man put in prison, uh, as, as some form of repayment, and just in desperation... The man falls on his knees before the king and begs for mercy, promising he'll repay the debt. And in response, the king responds both by releasing the man from prison, pardoning his offense, and forgiving his debt in full. He's not even saying go and pay it off. He's saying the debt's cleared. 
Which, by the way, is also an example of both the relationship as well as the difference between mercy and grace. Because for mercy, in this context anyway, is not getting what we deserve. Which in this sense, for the man, was being not getting thrown into prison and not having his family and everything he owns sold. Um, so he, he's received mercy in that way, but he's also received grace. On the other hand, because grace we could think of as getting what you don't deserve. If mercy is not getting what you deserve, grace is getting what you don't deserve, which for this servant was having his entire debt erased, absorbed by this merciful master. And so when we think about all that and then we try to understand what it means for us as kingdom citizens today to be merciful, the very first thing it means is that we are to be people who are characterized by forgiveness, We are to be people who are characterized by pardoning the offenses of others against us, even, as you see in Jesus' example, even large offenses, characterized by not repaying others with punishment they justly deserve. That's one of the most basic, fundamental ways that a citizen of my kingdom looks like, says Jesus. And so so I want to ask you, I want to get in your business for a second, like, okay, so, so does it? If you say you're a kingdom citizen today, does that describe you? Does that describe me? Uh, uh, and, and listen, I'm not, I'm not asking if you do that perfectly. I know you don't. Neither do I. Neither does anyone. But overall, overall, is your life characterized by being merciful like this to the point where those who know you well could still say, I, I don't see the entire picture. But on the whole, this person, I see them as being a forgiving person someone who doesn't hold grudges against others, someone who doesn't seek retribution or revenge against those who have wronged them. Could they describe you that way? And no, no, that's that's not for a second to suggest that being merciful in this sense of the word is easy by any stretch of the imagination or that it's not for some people a day-by-day, sometimes moment-by-moment struggle to live out this characteristic as a kingdom citizen. I know it isn't. For although, yeah, like, I don't know who all is watching this right now. I don't know the story of everyone hearing this message right now, but I do know the stories of some in this church who have shared with me in confidence. Some of you have been wronged in some deeply painful ways. And that being merciful, not pursuing revenge, not seeking to gain back your pound of flesh from those individuals who hurt you has been a very costly thing in your life. It's very costly to live this out. And yet the reason that you continue to strive to be merciful yourself, and really that all of us, if we call ourselves kingdom citizens, need to strive to be merciful like this ourselves, is because when it comes to that same parable that Jesus tells in Matthew 18, you know that the only reason you're a kingdom citizen yourself is because you were that servant. You, I was that servant, standing before, uh, with a debt before God that I could never hope to pay, but then rather than giving me the, the, the punishment that my debt deserved, God had pity on me. He, he had pity on you. He had mercy on us and absorbed our debt in, in the death of his son, didn't give us the punishment that we deserved. As Paul summarizes so beautifully in Ephesians 2 there, this, this is our testimony, but God being rich in mercy, Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. It is by grace you have been saved. Or as David writes in Psalm 103, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He does not deal with us according to our sins, 
nor repay us according to our iniquities. And so as a grateful response to that mercy that was shown to you, the, the reason you can still show mercy to others is because you, you now strive to be merciful to those who have wronged you out of that understanding that you first were shown mercy, that you were pardoned for a debt you couldn't repay. And let me tell you, as I see that in your lives, it's one of the most like humbling and, and powerful things to witness because I know it's costly and it's, it's just incredible to watch. But, but here's the thing. What I, what I also know is that for every person that I know that this does describe, merciful, being pardoning and forgiving of others, for every person that does describe, there's at least another person who is struggling to be merciful in the least, who's, who's trying to decide if they even want this kingdom characteristic to be true of you in the face of the debt that you feel that is owed you. Just like, I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I'll say more about this in a minute. And, and listen, hear me. This is not, I'm not in any way trying to guilt anybody this morning, trying to tell you, I just get over your pain, anything like that. Nor am I saying that, that you don't need to have to put like healthy boundaries in place around relationships where, where harm and abuse has taken place. Not at all. I'm not saying that. But beyond your expression of gratitude for the mercy that God first showed to you in Jesus, something else to consider is that another reason that God sees as blessed and happy those who are merciful in his kingdom is because of the freedom that he knows offering forgiveness. The freedom that pardoning the guilt of others can bring to your own heart. That's another reason he says that this person is happy and blessed. Because here's the thing, he knows your pain. He knows what's been done, but he also knows the weight of that burden that you're carrying around with you. As you, as you cling to that offense and seek to exact retribution on it for yourself uh, with your own kind of broken means, he knows what a weight and a struggle that is, which means that ultimately the call of Jesus to live lives of mercy in this sense is not only a call to gratitude, it's also a call to freedom. Not just living lives of gratitude, but lives of freedom. Experiencing freedom both from having to carry around those heavy burdens, but also freedom from having to continue to apply destructive penalties on others, which, come on, in the end, never seem to exact sufficient payment to cover the expense that you're owed. He desires your freedom. And so, okay, that's, there's more we could say, but that's mercy as pardon. The other side of the definition, the flip side of the coin, as, as the Bible defines mercy, is mercy as compassion. So let's look at this for a minute. Mercy as compassion, and although perhaps maybe the less common understanding of the word, I think you see mercy as being described as compassion, as ministering to the needs of others, uh, simply in the way like you look at something like downtown, the Union Gospel Mission, uh, going with the Peace Corps to, I don't know, dig wells in a foreign country, those are very often, maybe you've heard, described as missions of mercy or mercy missions. Uh, um, you see it illustrated perfectly uh, in the way that in Matthew 9, Jesus is walking down the road, he goes by two blind men, and they call out to him, they say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. It's illustrated there because think about that. Are, are, are those two guys calling out for Jesus to pardon them or forgive them for some offense that they've committed against him? Like maybe it's, it's possible, but isn't it more likely that by have mercy on us, what they're actually asking Jesus to do is to heal them, uh, to, to serve this physical need of theirs with the power that they've heard he has to heal? 
which I think we, we can see that that is the reason, because as Jesus goes on to, to do, he heals them. So as, as R.T. France rightly notes as it relates to this other important sense of the word, mercy is compassion, he says this way, mercy is not an emotion, but a practical response to need. It's not an emotion, a practical response to need. And honestly, where else do we see a more beautiful example of mercy as compassion, as a response to the need of another, than in Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10. Uh, if you don't know this story, one day a man is traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and on the way he is uh, pounced on by robbers. Uh, they, they beat him, strip him, leave him for dead. And yet, as Jesus tells the story, when the Samaritan man comes upon this man who's been robbed and beaten and left for dead, he says, quote, he had compassion on him. And the result of his compassion is that he both applies medical aid to this man, he gives medical attention to him, he also gives him a ride into town, puts him up in a hotel, covering his lodging and food at his own expense until the man is recovered. And so as we seek to understand what it means for us as kingdom citizens today to be merciful in this sense, I think along with pardoning the guilty, the next thing we're seeing is that being merciful also means that we are to be people who are characterized by generosity. People who are characterized by compassion as as those who watch for places of need and then step in. And then give and help and serve in ways that are intentional, that are even sacrificial in order to see those needs met. That's also one of the most basic, fundamental ways a citizen in my kingdom looks like as well, says Jesus. So, okay, let, let, let me ask you again. Same thing I did a moment ago to ask you about mercy as pardon. Let me ask you here, does this describe you? Does this describe me? And again, I, I know not, not perfectly, but overall, is your life characterized by being merciful like this to the point where somebody who knows you well could look at you and say, I don't see the entire picture, no, but on the whole, I see this person as being a generous person who sees and genuinely cares for the needs of others in their lives. Does that describe you? <clears throat> And I know this can be a bit more tricky for others to be able to discern, particularly um, when we move on a little bit later in the Sermon on the Mount, in the very next chapter, actually, to see that another kingdom principle that Jesus describes is about our good deeds done in secret, not doing them so that others can see them and, and give us praise. I know that's a kingdom principle as well, and so maybe this is a bit more tricky to, for somebody else to look and see and define it that way, but then, okay, let me rephrase the question. If, if someone was able to see if, if the cover was pulled off and people were able to see all of your acts of mercy as compassion, as it's described here, then would, would they still be able to describe you, generally speaking, in this way? For once again, we, we find in Jesus the most compelling motivation as citizens of his kingdom to act in this way ourselves as we read of Jesus giving sacrificially of himself, giving everything of himself in order to serve our greatest need. We read about this in Hebrews chapter 2, which is actually the only other place, by the way, in the New Testament where this same word merciful is used. And we're told this, therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, this is Jesus, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest 
in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. This is just epic. Self-giving. The giving of his very self so that he might extend both saving mercy to us as well as compassion to us when we continue to struggle under the burden of temptation. And so... It's mercy in this second sense. Mercy is compassion. That once again, yeah, although incredibly costly, but in costly in a different way. Once again, I, I actually see so beautifully displayed by so many in this church. I, I, and it's so beautiful to see uh, when I watch these examples. Everything from those of you who are helping to prepare meals for the Bowles family as Sharon goes through her cancer treatments to, to home group leaders who I see just giving of themselves week after week in order to continue to hold community and, and disciple people as we study through God's word. I see it in the way so many have continued to just give sacrificially of their finances, even in the midst of a pandemic, so that the ministries of this church can continue, and by extension, the, the, the ministries and missions that we support as a church can be supported to just countless other ways that I see, and, and, and I know beyond that because I know a number of you in the way you are, uh, acts that are known only to you and God. I see this again and again in, in our church. I think this does characterize us to a large degree, and, and it's so beautiful to see. Calvin described mercy as compassion in this way. He says this, quote, The world reckons those to be happy who give themselves no concern about the distresses of others, but consult only their own ease. But... Christ says that those are happy, those are blessed, who, not only prepare, who are not only prepared to endure their own afflictions, but to take a share in the afflictions of others, who assist the wretched, who willingly take part with those who are in distress, who clothe themselves, as it were, with the same affections that they may be more readily able to dispose to render them assistance. This is also what it means to be merciful as a citizen in the, king, in the kingdom. And although maybe perhaps the less common understanding of the word, no less a description of the mercy that God continues to demonstrate to us again and again in meeting our own needs out of his glorious riches in Christ. Okay, so, so hopefully that, that does help get us back to understanding a more straightforward understanding of what it means to be merciful, now that we have a more clear understanding of the fullness of that definition. I hope it also it helps you understand maybe how God might be calling you today in one of these senses, either mercy is pardon or mercy is compassion, that you need to grow in this kingdom characteristic in your own life. How is the Spirit of God speaking to you uh, as we understand the fullness of mercy and what it means and that that's supposed to characterize our lives as citizens in His kingdom? I hope that the Spirit of God is also speaking to you that way. But as we close this morning, the last thing I want to look at together with you very quickly is what Jesus says is our reward for being merciful. Because remember, he says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So I want to look here quickly at mercy received. Mercy received, and I think it's really important that we have clarity here before leaving this beatitude, because again, the, the tendency or the temptation can be to slip into this idea, if we're not careful, of understanding Jesus prescribing some kind of works-based salvation here where we are where we are merciful our, our merciful actions start to earn or merit God's saving mercy towards us and that's not what he's saying 
But the problem is, it could certainly seem like that is what Jesus is saying, particularly when those of you who you know, maybe know your Bibles a little bit better uh, might have noticed in both those stories I told about a servant who's forgiven uh, a massive debt, as well as the story of the Good Samaritan, you might have been like, uh, you, you kind of left out a few important parts of those stories. Yeah, yeah, I did, actually, so that we could get to hear um, for in, first of all, in Jesus' parable from Matthew 18, uh, that very same servant who was just forgiven this unimaginable debt, we're told he literally walks out of the king's room, out onto the street, and starts choking, strangling another fellow servant, has him thrown into jail because he owes him an infinitely smaller amount than what that, that, that he was just forgiven for. Or, in the story of the Good Samaritan, long before that Good Samaritan ever comes along and shows mercy to the man who'd been robbed and left for dead, he is first denied mercy by both a priest and a Levite who clearly see his need, see his distress, and simply just move to the other side of the road and pass on. Clearly, they are just too busy, busy, dreadfully busy to stop. And in Jesus parable of, uh, from Matthew 18 in particular, called, by the way, the parable of the unmerciful servant. We see that in response to the servant's unwillingness to extend the same mercy that was just shown to him, that the master hears about this, calls him back in, and throws him into jail, does, uh, does re- remove this mercy that he's shown in some ways uh, because this man has, has been so undeniably unmerciful despite the mercy that was just shown to him which when you read that and you understand that it can almost make this beatitude sound like a threat like Jesus saying be merciful or else so so how are we to understand this how do we live out this character this kingdom characteristic knowing we won't be able to live it out perfectly but apparently in danger of losing God's mercy if we don't do it perfectly uh what are we to do? And I think the answer very simply is found in seeing the integral relationship between what we saw at the beginning, the, the need beatitudes and the help beatitudes. Understanding the integral relationship between these two things. Because did you notice when Jesus begins this Sermon on the Mount and starts these beatitudes, he doesn't start with, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. What does he start with? He starts with, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. He starts there and then moves to blessed are the merciful. Do you notice that? And I think, I think it's very intentional that he does that. Uh, the, I think the reason that he does that, as D.A. Carson notes, quote, the person whose experience first reflects these need beatitudes is conscious of his spiritual bankruptcy grieves over it and hungers for righteousness, he is then merciful towards the wretched because he recognizes himself to be wretched. In being merciful, he is also shown mercy. You see that? And so in order to understand, like just in understanding that reality and how those things work together, I think what we're seeing, we're free to see that rather than being any kind of threat here, be like, like Jesus saying, be merciful, be perfectly merciful or else. No, Jesus is instead calling us to let our increasing understanding of the mercy and grace that was shown to us shape and, and influence the way in which we are merciful towards others. Let your own poverty lead to the way that you help others. 
Like think of the fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Or, or think of Jesus' teaching a little later in Matthew 7. Judge not lest you be judged. Why? Because the same measure that you used to judge, you, will, you, you, you yourself will be judged by. You, you don't pray that prayer. Forgive me like I forgive. You don't, you don't judge others with the same measure that you used to judge yourself unless you're daily growing in your awareness, in, in your your awe and your gratitude at the immeasurable grace and mercy that was first shown to you. It's only those who are unaware of their need for mercy or or somehow think they're deserving of the mercy that was shown to them or who just never experienced the mercy of Christ to begin with who see no need whatsoever to be merciful to others. That's the only way you could actually believe, I don't need to show mercy to anyone else, as if you don't actually, you haven't actually received it yourself or you don't understand what has actually been done for you. Because when you know that you've been shown mercy, first, you see this beatitude not as a threat, but instead as Jesus saying, blessed are the merciful, for in being merciful to others, they reveal themselves as those who have truly received, have truly understood that divine mercy was first shown to them. That's really the sense of of this beatitude which then actually enables you to live this really beautiful life in grateful response to God for the mercy that he's shown to you. Just living a grateful response to mercy that's been shown to you, which I, th- I think is illustrated, you see illustrated just perfectly in the life of someone like Jean Valjean, the, the protagonist in Victor Hugo's classic Les Miserables. Um, if you don't know this story, Valjean, an ex-convict's, Uh, is one day he's shown incredible mercy, incredible grace by a bishop that Valjean had actually robbed the night before. He'd been invited into his home to stay, and he robs the man, but instead he is shown incredible mercy where the bishop forgives his offense, clears his name before the officers who brought him back in with the stolen stuff, says, no, 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 I gave it to him, and then actually graces him with more than he stole the first time. He says, oh, I don't... How silly, you left so early this morning, you forgot these silver candlesticks. Don't forget I gave you these as well. That's an unbelievable demonstration to him of mercy and grace. And then as a result of that, as a result of that mercy shown to him, Valjean then goes on to live this this life in response, a grateful response to that mercy. He becomes a wealthy philanthropist, helping many. He he rescues and and adopts uh, a dying widow's daughter. He even forgives. He even doesn't carry out revenge when he has the opportunity against uh, Javert, this uh, prison warden who'd mercilessly hunted him all his life. He forgives him. He, he sets him free. Do, do you see it? Do you, do you see how the understanding what's been done for you leads to this grateful sense of living? Because that's the thing. Truly, as we've seen, beyond any religious duty or right or confession, mercy, mercy truly is the most basic, fundamental characteristic of a citizen in the kingdom. First, powerfully transforming to you your own life as you experience it, and then powerfully transforming to others and the lives of others to whom you extend it. May God daily increase our awareness of as well as our gratitude for the incredible mercy and grace that he has shown to each one of us in Jesus so that more and more mercy may be the defining experience of all who know us. May that be how we are known as individuals, as a church, as merciful.
Amen. Amen. May it may it may that be so.